0: Welcome to Knocked Up, a podcast about fertility, pregnancy and women's health. I'm your host, Geordie Morrison, and I'm joined as always by Dr Ralia Lou. Welcome Ralia. Hi, how are you doing? Ralia's a fertility specialist, gynaecologist and director of Women's Health Melbourne. Before we begin today's show, we have a favour to ask. If you're a fan of Knocked Up, Please rate us, five stars, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other listeners find the show and the resources we offer. We're also planning an advice episode where Railia will answer your questions. So email us at podcast at and don't worry, we'll keep all queries anonymous. Now today's episode...
1: We're what? doing, We're doing. it'll probably be a little bit of a mini episode today yep. um, to answer a question about Kleinfelter's syndrome. And this was, in fact, an audience question. It was. Yeah. So uh, what is Kleinfelter's? Look, Kleinfelter's syndrome is one of the most common genetic syndromes that can be found more often in men who suffer infertility. So this is about men's fertility. It is. Uh, it's a specific syndrome that happens when a man is himself an embryo. When egg and sperm meet, instead of having the normal number of chromosomes, and I suppose we have to talk about what is a chromosome. Yes. (laughs) um, Chromosomes are, I I tend to describe them to patients like the volumes of the DNA encyclopaedia. Each chromosome is a structure in our cells that carries genes. And you know, from the crossword that you know I do every weekend in the paper, there's a common clue that says the gene is the answer. Um, the gene is the unit of inheritance. So a gene is like a little explanation of what to do to make a certain protein. And the expression of proteins is part of um, how we function as mm-hmm. as a being, as a as an animal, as a human. Um, And plants have chromosomes also. So basically we have in our DNA library 22 pairs of what are called autosomes. So they're the chromosomes numbered 1 to 22. Mm -hmm. And then we also have a pair of sex chromosomes. Yes. And it becomes quite complicated. But in general, a biological female has two X chromosomes. Mm -hmm. A biological male has an X chromosome and a Y chromosome. And most people only have two. Sex chromosomes. But people with Klinefelter syndrome, and they're always male, have two X chromosomes and a Y chromosome. It'll be a male, he won't know that he has Klinefelter syndrome when he's born. Um, He'll probably have no idea for most of his adult life Mm -hmm. because it's quite a uh, subtle syndrome most of the time. There Mm -hmm. are some, and like every genetic syndrome, there's a possibility of the syndrome expressing itself differently in one person or another. Mm-hmm. So some men with Kleinfelter syndrome have symptoms that make it more obvious to others that they have this yeah. issue. I was going to ask if if it has symptoms. I've met many patients with Kleinfelter syndrome over my career and you would never know they had Kleinfelter syndrome to look at them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so some things are described in textbooks that are associated with Kleinfelter syndrome, like... Mm-hmm. Having a long arm span, for example, uh, right. having uh, what's called gynecomastia, so more prominent breast tissue, mm-hmm. um, having what's called hypogonadism, so having a low testosterone, can be the case in some Klinefelter syndrome patients. There's been an association with a lower intellectual function or learning disability, but you know I've met men with Klinefelter syndrome who are professionals, who have you know been to university, who are you know, very clever, functioning very highly in the world. So it's it's really not... So nothing that you typically associate with Klinefelter's. should you
0: think of anything typical, yeah. don't always express.
1: Now, men with Kleinfelter syndrome have very small testes, Okay, but they have a normal scrotum. Right. So, you, so, they, so they'd never know. Again, they may never know. And, and you also know, what's small? And also, you know, most of the time I would say maybe things are more open now, but I would say most men haven't gone around comparing their testy size with other men. No. So they may not ever have realised there was any issue. Mm. And generally they go through an, a normal puberty and tend to have a normal sexual function. So they really may not know that this is a concern until they try and have a baby. Now, one thing that is common with Kleinfelter syndrome and just to point out this is actually quite a common condition. It affects one in six hundred men. Oh so, so it's really common. It's pretty common. Mm. So basically if you think of a school, most schools have more than six hundred students. There's probably someone with Kleinfelter syndrome in a big school, for yes. example. So it's not a, an uncommon thing. Most men with Kleinfelter syndrome when they ejaculate in their semen have no sperm present and um, Uh they they have a genetic cause of what we call a failure of spermatogenesis of making sperm. What is a failure of making sperm? Well, basically, we have about 15,000 genes, so going back to our chromosomes, Mm -hmm. that um, are involved in the function of making sperm. And we really don't know much more about it in this point of medical knowledge, but we know men with Kleinfelter syndrome, for some reason, the fact that they have that extra X chromosome means that they stop making sperm okay. too early, their testes burn out. Right. And most men with Kleinfelter syndrome, when they do a semen analysis, so their partner's having trouble getting pregnant, they go to the doctor, they do a semen analysis, they find out that there is a situation called azospermia which means no sperm. And, um, you know, I actually do a tutorial on azospermia for the students that I teach at the University of Melbourne, because that's one of the things that I do as a clinical senior lecturer. And one thing I always say to students, medical students who I'm teaching about azospermia is that it's a diagnosis that is quite shocking for a male to receive. Yes, it would be. And generally, if I have to give that diagnosis, and this is a common scenario to doctors in all fields who have to break bad news to patients. Usually that piece of information is the last piece of information that that patient will take in for the conversation, because even though I need to talk to them about other things, like Kleinfelder syndrome is by no means the only cause of azoospermia. There's lots of different causes. But, you know, we've got to look further. We've got to find out what's going on. But really, this is a a diagnosis that is a shock to the man. He's going to be immediately thinking, am I ever going to be able to be a father? How will my partner respond? Um, You know, will my relationship survive this? They're thinking the worst possible thing. So I always say that it's really important whenever we make this kind of diagnosis and disclose it to a patient that we have to be really sensitive and that we have to give the patient time and support to digest the information because it's, it's really confronting. So, how's it diagnosed? So, when we do suspect Klinefelter syndrome, the first thing we do is examine the patient because the easiest way to figure it out is to examine the patient and check the testicular volume. Because it to a doctor, not necessarily to a patient, but mm-hmm. to a doctor, it's a very obvious sign. Yes, the average male has a, a you know fifteen to twenty mil testis, mm-hmm. so somewhere between the size you know, a kind of a walnut and the size of a date. Okay, yes. Um, whereas Klinefelter syndrome will be more the size of a raisin. Oh, so very small. Yeah. So clinically it's easy to suspect that mm-hmm. if, if you find a very small testis on examination. Um, but then we do what's called a karyotype, which is a chromosome map, and generally that's done as a blood test. Okay. And that proves the diagnosis. But it, it is quite a clinical diagnosis because of that of very obvious Testicular volume sign, and then once you know, once you have it in your head that you think, okay, this is probably clime then sometimes, even though it wasn't obvious, you can look at the arm span, and you can look at those other factors. Factors do they have, you know, kind of a more bigger fat distribution at the, at the, the of breast tissue and things like that. So you look for those those signs, and, and sometimes you find them, but they're subtle. When it comes to fertility, what can you do? So. Actually it's not all doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. And there will like be mo- like most things we do. Like bring most up. things, exactly. Yeah. So for Kleinfelter syndrome there will be a proportion of men with this syndrome where we can actually find sperm. But to do so requires a microdissection of the testis because there's there's no blockage, the testis isn't making sperm normally, but there may be little islands, little isolated areas of the testis where we can find enough sperm to make a baby through IVF. I've helped men in my practice on many occasions with Kleinfelder syndrome to help their partner get pregnant and have genetically related children mm-hmm. through microtezy, uh, where sperm is found. Um, and what we might do is on a future episode of the podcast, I might invite on a fertility-focused urologist to talk a little bit more about microtezy because mm-hmm. um, it's not an operation I do personally; it's an yeah. operation that. I refer to a colleague who's a clinically focused fertility mm-hmm. focused urologist. Yeah. It's a really sub-specialized procedure. And when microtese is done, we're really looking for tiny, tiny, tiny little areas of the testis mm-hmm. that might have sperm. It's done using a microscope. That's the micro in the right. microtese. And, you know, the operator skill and the fact that, you know, it's not a common procedure, you need to have a person who's super trained at it and who doesn't all the time is their bread and butter to get the best results for your patients. And that's what my approach always is in my practice. So in about 50% of men with Kleinfelter syndrome who have a micro sperm will be found and pregnancy can be achieved. Mm-hmm. What we generally require is their partner who often is not infertile at all because it's, it's to, unlikely yeah. to have a double whammy, it can happen that the <laughs> partner has a fertility problem as well, but it's less it's less likely. likely yeah. Um, has to go through IVF mm-hmm. um, where they might not have otherwise needed IVF yes. in another context. So okay. that's a challenge in itself. But often what I do is I take a woman through an IVF stimulation and I freeze eggs for her mm-hmm. because that's the best way to line up with a microtezy to make yeah. sure I've got plenty of eggs because it's really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to find sperm when you do a testicular microdissection, mm-hmm. And so you want to have enough eggs ready to go so that as many sperm as you find can be used. We sometimes find single-digit sperm. We sometimes find double-digit sperm, which is enough to use but not a sufficient volume to freeze and have survival. So we really want to have as many eggs as there might be sperm to find to give a couple the best chance of having a baby and best case scenario, more than one baby, if we manage to make embryos to freeze. So So We've got
0: episodes on freezing the eggs, IVF.
1: Fertilisation, yeah, absolutely, and we do use ICSI, um, which is which we have discussed as well. ICSI. Yeah, so ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection, mm-hmm. and that's when we inject one sperm, one egg. I think we've talked before in previous episodes that while we all come from an embryo that has DNA from an egg and a sperm, in nature it takes actually quite a lot of. Sperm around an egg to help fertilisation happen. They work as a team, and they have to to break down the barrier, break down the mm. outer cell layers of the egg so that one can get through. And so, when we find really low numbers of sperm, yeah, down to possible single digit, single digit potentially, um, we have to inject a sperm into an egg, and that's the common case for testicular sperm, whether we take sperm from the testis because of a problem like Kleinfelter syndrome or even after a vasectomy when we take sperm from the testis to help a woman have children when a man changes his mind, Mm -hmm. um, we still do ICSI. Okay. Anyway, um, there will be 50% of men with Kleinfelter syndrome who have a micro and sperm's not found. So what can we do for them? In that scenario, we're really talking about using donor sperm. Mm -hmm. And technically for donor sperm... We don't need IVF, we can have artificial insemination and I've had other patients in my practice in that category where sperm's not been found or the patient hasn't wanted to go down the micro route. It is quite a, a big undertaking, it is quite an invasive thing and some people don't want to do it and they prefer to use donor sperm and that's that's also a, um, a potential for having a baby. So they might have a known donor. Some people have a, a known donor, or... a relative, a friend... Sometimes they have a sibling, Mm -hmm. um, so the DNA is very similar. And we can do artificial insemination or IVF if we've already got eggs. I don't think we've ever discussed it, but what's the process of artificial insemination? So artificial insemination itself is relatively simple. It's more about the lead up to artificial insemination to try and get the best Possible outcome for a patient. So, taking it back to nature and biology, when a woman releases an egg naturally in a cycle, the chance of getting pregnant per month is about one in five. Mm -hmm. And so, if we don't alter the cycle at all, that will be the chance best case scenario of getting pregnant with artificial insemination. What we do in general, but not always, because it always increases the risk a little bit of having a multiple pregnancy. But just remembering that not every egg can be a baby, and mm-hmm. so sometimes we flirt with this risk, yes. is giving the woman a little boost from some fertility drugs to okay. aim for having more than one egg, often mm-hmm. just aiming for one extra egg yeah. in the cycle, and and that does boost the chance a little bit more than in a completely natural mm-hmm. cycle. So that would also boost the chance of twins? It does. Um, it does increase the chance of twins modestly, but because not every egg can be a baby and not every egg does translate to live birth, we, we take that on board. If there was an absolute reason not to have a twin pregnancy, like for example, if a woman has a uterus that is of an abnormal shape that she mm-hmm. was born with, like a what's called a unicorn or a uterus, and has a risk of premature birth just because of the shape of her uterus, it would be probably unwise clinically to put her at additional risk by giving her a twin pregnancy. Yeah. Or if a woman has a high risk pregnancy for other reasons, she might have an underlying medical condition like diabetes mm-hmm. or she might have had a weakened cervix and a preterm birth in a previous pregnancy. So mm-hmm. in those circumstances, you know, we'd really be trying very hard to help her have one baby at a time. Yes, but, in terms of you know couples with infertility who are accessing donor sperm or who are accessing their partner's sperm to give the sperm a boost through artificial insemination, or who have difficulty having intercourse because of multiple factors, erectile dysfunction, trouble for the female with things like what's called vaginismus, where the pelvic floor is overactive and sex is painful. You know, we can use artificial insemination to help overcome those problems too. So it's got a lot of applications. And of course, it's really commonly used for donor sperm situations Mm -hmm. in um, both heterosexual and same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we track ovulation really precisely to really optimise the chance of getting pregnant because unlike sex where you can have, you know, kind of privately at home multiple times in the month with artificial insemination, it tends to be a one-time insemination and we do it in the clinic. So we want to do it on the perfect day Mm -hmm. where where you have the best chance of getting pregnant. So we do time that really carefully, tracking the cycle with ultrasound and blood tests. And then we can give a trigger so that we know exactly when ovulation is going to happen, or we can (laughs) track with blood tests and pick up where a woman has an LH surge, a luteinizing hormone surge, which is kind of the prelude to ovulation. It's a bit of a sign that it's about to happen. And we time the insemination procedure to be happening on the day that the egg's going to be released. Okay. Uh, And how we actually do the procedure with either fresh or frozen sperm. Um, Usually with donor we tend to use frozen sperm and and it's just so that we can quarantine the sperm for a period of time because with donor sperm we want to make sure we're not passing on viruses. Uh, like HIV, for example, uh, through donor sperm. And so often what happens is the sperm goes in the freezer, the donor has uh, some blood tests to make sure they're not at risk of carrying viruses, Mm -hmm. and then a few months later the donor has another blood test to make sure that they're not seroconverting, that they're not... um, Because some viruses and HIVs the most obvious example, you can be infected by it, you can actually be infectious to someone else, but it cannot yet show up in your bloodstream that Mm. that's the case. It's about three months, isn't it? It takes about three months, yeah, for um, what's called seroconversion. So that's really what we're checking and that's why we we quarantine donor sperm. And not in our lab and not in our country, but in IVF and fertility units overseas, there have been cases in the past where HIV was transmitted through through donor donor sperm. sperm. So that's why we do that. The actual technique itself is pretty straightforward. You do a speculum exam, which most women will be familiar with who've had a, a pap smear, smear. Mm-hmm. a cervical screening test, as we now call it, because we've gotten rid oh, of the okay, old pap right. slides. Oh. I know it's so hard to get used to no, not f- saying oh, that pap smear. It yeah. <laughs> well, pap <laughs> smear standard, it, well, it stood for Papa Nicolau, who was the guy who invented it. Oh. So that's why we've always called it a pap smear. Right. Um, but We have new technology now. We have new it's techniques, and screen. so now we call it CST, the Combined screening test, yeah. So Um, the speculum's in? The speculum's in, and then we put a little tube inside the uterus, a really fine, gentle, bendy, Mm -hmm. malleable tube. Mm -hmm. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. And then we insert the sperm. So it's pretty easy. I yes. mean, we'll obviously, draw it up in a syringe, and there's a little yeah, bit of fiddling. So this is the turkey baster. It's not a turkey baster. Oh. <laughs> you think of a turkey baster. It's, you think of this thing. It's got this rubber stopper on mean, the end. Quite Not sterile, <laughs> and it's um, yeah, it's quite big, probably bigger than your thumb. Whereas um, squirting the juice on the turkey. But no, this we're talking about a tiny, tiny, tiny okay. little tube that, that is less than two millimeters in diameter. Oh, so it's very little small. and gentle, and um, certainly not a turkey baster. That's
0: how we do it. So with Kleinfelters, going back to our original topic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've ever gone that much off topic. So the options are either to undergo micro-teasy micro to find the sperm. And then if there is no sperm for that, what, one in 600? that No, it'd
1: be it'd one be in 50%. 1,200. It'd be 50% of the one in 600. So one so in 1,200 who yeah. won't have sperm. Yeah, yeah. It would then be... A donor sperm pathway or, of course, other options for family building, so things like adoption, fostering children, adopting an embryo, you know, embryo donation. There's lots of different options for family building. Uh, I think also just going back to the point of that it's a very difficult diagnosis. Of course. Counselling, really yeah. important. Referral to a good counsellor for psychological support for the couple, I think is absolutely exactly, yes, mandatory. for the couple, not just for the man. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The other question that gets asked is, are men with Klinefelter syndrome more likely to have babies with Klinefelter syndrome? And interestingly, we don't think so although theoretically they may because they have a, an abnormal number of chromosomes. And so when we make sperm and egg, we give half of our own chromosomes yes, of to a sperm and an egg. But it does seem with Kleinfelter syndrome that um, those little areas of spermatogenesis are less likely to be affected by that syndrome. It might be a little what's called a mosaic or an, an area of the test us where the cells there might have normal chromosomes. And we don't tend to see men with Klinefelter syndrome who conceive through IVF having babies with Klinefelter syndrome, which is really interesting. And we don't really know why that is, Mm. but it is very reassuring for couples who are thinking about whether they try with a man's own sperm if it can be found versus donor. Thank you so much.
0: What an explanation. (laughs) And thank you for listening to us uh, on Knocked Up. For more information about Kleinfelters and artificial insemination, you can visit womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and you can also send us feedback and questions to podcasts at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Of course, we're on the socials, two accounts, Dr. Ray and Women's Health Melbourne. If you're a fan of the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps people find us and we'll be back soon with another episode.